bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, February 11th, 2020. Now, before I get started with today's podcast and talk about the Trump administration budget request, I did want to provide a quick deadline reminder. And this is for those listeners that intend to apply for the winter round of low income housing tax rate allocations in Massachusetts. The deadline is next Thursday, February 20th. Now, February 20th is the deadline for those sponsors who pre, whose pre-applications were approved in December of last year. So if you're facing that deadline and need some help, reach out to Novogratik office near you. The Massachusetts deadline is for both state and federal low income housing tax credits. And yes, we do have an office in Boston. Now, in today's podcast, I'm going to talk about the Trump administration's budget request for fiscal year 2021. That's the fiscal year that ends on September 30th, 2021, and begins on October 1st, 2020. That budget request was just released yesterday. Now, I'm also going to let you know about how the president highlighted Opportunity Zones in his State of the Union speech, if you haven't already read about it in the newspapers, online, or through Twitter. I'm also going to provide some details from an important hearing that was held last week about public housing. And then from there, I'll wrap up things with some federal and state level affordable housing news. With all that said, if you're ready, let's get started. So starting with the Trump budget, the Trump administration releases proposed $4.8 trillion budget for fiscal year 2021 yesterday on Monday. Now, the annual budget proposal is important because it indicates priorities for the Trump administration, even if the final budget adopted by Congress will look very different. Now, the proposal lets us see where the president stands on some key issues in affordable housing and community development. Now, Congress is expected to draft its own 2021 budget proposal in the coming months, which may or may not include some of the administration's proposals. Now, with that as background, Let's look at a few key specifics that the 2021 budget calls for. First of all, similar to last year, the budget proposal calls for a 15% cut in HUD funding. Now, in terms of dollars, that's an $8.6 billion reduction from the 2020 budget. The HUD funding proposal would eliminate the Community Development Block Grant, would eliminate Choice Neighborhoods grants, and would eliminate the Home Investment Partnerships Program. Now, these are critical programs that help fund affordable housing and community development needs. Now, for public housing, there's good news and bad news. Now, the good news is that the budget request includes $100 million for the Rental Assistance Demonstration Program. The bad news? The proposal would eliminate the Public Housing Capital Fund. The capital fund, as you likely know, provides crucial financial grants to public housing agencies to address deferred capital needs. Elimination of the capital fund means losing a resource helps modernize development and improve public housing. Now, another blow to community development under the Trump budget proposal is the elimination of all CDFI fund grant funding. The CDFI fund would only receive, under the budget, an administrative budget of $14 million. That's less than half of this year's administrative budget. 
Now, administrative budget cuts could seriously impair the City of High Fund's ability to provide efficient service to existing grantees and new market tax credit allocatees. So in terms of timing and process for the budget proposal, there is a long path ahead. As I noted earlier, fiscal year 2021 doesn't begin until October 1st. And given that it's a presidential election year, it's likely that Congress will not pass all 12 annual spending bills before that date by the September 30 deadline. Now, as a reminder, if you look at last year, the fiscal year 2020 budget wasn't officially approved until December 23rd, 2019, after continuing resolutions to get us through to that date. That was nearly three months after the end of the previous fiscal year. Now, we will have more information on the budget proposal this week in the Notes from Novogratic blog. I'll also discuss more details in next week's podcast, and I'll tweet out links to blog posts as they're published. But you can rest assured that the final budget that Congress does ultimately approve and get signed by the president will be nothing like what's being proposed in the Trump's proposed budget. Now, during the State of the Union speech given by President Trump last week, the Opportunity Zones incentive did get a high-level shout-out. The mention of Opportunity Zones early in Trump's State of the Union address continues the administration's efforts to boost the visibility of the tax incentive. The applause that his mention of Opportunity Zones received was a sign of support for Opportunity Zones by many leaders in Congress, which is good news for investors and other Opportunity Zones stakeholders. And in this State of the Union speech, Trump highlighted Tony Rankin's one of his guests. Rankins was a homeless veteran who now works with a group that builds and renovates housing in Opportunity Zones. Trump cited Rankins' work as an example of how the incentive is working well. And in his praise of Opportunity Zones, President Trump singled out Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina. Senator Scott, as you know, was a lead sponsor of Opportunity Zones legislation, along with Democrat Senator Cory Booker. Now, Novogratic was honored to feature Senator Scott as a keynote speaker at a Novogratic New Market Tax Conference in Washington in 2018. Also of note, Senator Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, a Democrat, did stand and applaud when President Trump praised Scott and the incentive. Also, Senator Scott, which you may also know, is a co-sponsor of two pieces of legislation that would require the Treasury Department to track investment in Opportunity Zones. And while there is widespread pessimism that major tax legislation will pass this year, Political reported last week that Representative Ron Kind, a Democrat on the Ways and Means Committee, hopes to get a reporting requirement bill to the full House this year. And by the way, also dealing with Opportunity Zones, the White House Opportunity Revitalization Council released a report last Friday. Now the council, you may remember, was formed in 2018 to streamline and coordinate federal resources to be used in Opportunity Zones. The report highlights all the recommendations that the Council has made, as well as what actions have been taken. Guess how many recommendations there are? 223. And the report says that action has been taken on 180 of those 223 recommendations. There are also two legislative suggestions in the report. The first, no surprise, is for an impact reporting bill. And the second is for legislation to centralize federal economic assistance resources for use in Opportunity Zones. There is a link to the report in today's show notes, 
and I'll tweet that out as well. Now elsewhere in Washington last week, the House Financial Services Subcommittee on Housing, Community Development, and Insurance held a hearing. It's a hearing that's going to be of interest to many of our listeners. The hearing was labeled A Future Without Public Housing, examining the Trump administration's efforts to eliminate public housing. Based on that title, you can guess the direction that this hearing went. Now, this hearing is particularly important to those in public housing and affordable housing in general, because how Congress addresses public housing will have an impact on all affordable housing. And one important factor is HUD's Rental Assistance Administration Program, or RAD, which has been used to renovate hundreds of thousands of public housing apartments. And RAD conversions often use long housing tax credit equity. As a consequence, developers and investors have a major stake in what happens to public housing. And I know many of our listeners did join us at our Rental Assistance Administration Public Housing Conference held in Florida in January. Now, no surprise, as I implied earlier, many speakers at the hearing criticized the Trump administration's approach to cutting funding for public housing programs. But Representative Steve Stivers, a Republican from Ohio, talked about flexibility. Stivers highlighted RAD, and Stivers and Financial Services Chairwoman Maxine Waters differed on the effectiveness of RAD, although much of Waters' concerns were about unanswered questions, not observed results. Waters admitted she didn't fully trust the private sector to handle public housing. Stivers made it a point throughout the hearing to ask witnesses about the benefits and hurdles in the RAD program. He also asked stakeholders to make suggestions on improving RAD. Now, while the hearing was on public housing in general, it did provide a great chance for public housing stakeholders and those who support RAD to clarify what is needed as the program continues to expand. We at Novogratic work a lot with the RAD program, and if you have questions about it, I'd encourage you to reach out to my partner, Rich Larson, in our New Jersey office, or reach out to Nick Hain in our Austin, Texas office. Now, turning to other news, of note, the House of Representatives last week did pass a $4.8 billion to supplemental disaster relief package for Puerto Rico. And as part of the package, there's a $50 million increase in low-income tax credits, which translates into $500 million over 10 years. And there's also $500 million more in new market tax allocations for two years, for 2020 and 2021, to be exact. Now, this disaster package is to assist Puerto Rico in recovering from the recent earthquakes. Now, for this bill to become law, obviously, the Senate would also have to pass it and it would have to be signed by President Trump. And the White House has expressed opposition to the bill, saying that Puerto Rico is already set to get $90 billion in disaster funds. Now, while there is that opposition, I would like to also note that it is likely that the administration and the Senate will consider a supplemental appropriations bill at some point during the year to respond to another major disaster. And when that bill comes, this Puerto Rico disaster supplemental bill could be considered in negotiations over such a bill. I'll keep you posted as the bill moves along. And in some other news, some other Opportunity Zones news, the IRS did release final versions of two forms for the Opportunity Zones incentive. And we've been following these forms very closely, particularly through our work through the Opportunity Zones Working Group. And you may recall 
that a few weeks ago I talked about drafts of these two forms had been released by the IRS. Now these are the forms that are used, that you use if you participate in the Opportunity Zones Investment in a given year. There's two forms, 8997 and 8996. 8997 is the form that's used by investors in Qualified Opportunity Funds. And the form 8996 is used by a Qualified Opportunity Fund to annually report if it met the 90% investment standard during the tax year. Now, most of the changes to the forms for the final drafts were formatting and structuring changes. There were a few changes to the instructions for the form 8996, which is used by the Qualified Opportunity Fund. I will include a link to the final versions of the forms in today's show notes. And of course, if you are an investor or a Qualified Opportunity Fund, and you need help interpreting these forms to ensure that you complete them correctly and include them in your tax returns correctly, I'd encourage you to contact a Novogratz partner near you. We have many partners specializing in the Opportunity Zone Incentive, and we'd be happy to work with you on them. And if you don't want to do a simple Google search, you can simply type in www.novaco.com services, and that'll take you to a link to take you to some names of Novogratz partners that do particularly focus on Opportunity Zones Incentives. And also of note on the affordable housing news front, last week, Representative Earl Blumenauer of Oregon, along with six of his colleagues, released a report calling for increases in housing needs funding and other resources. The report is a framework that declares housing a fundamental human right. The fact that the report calls for doubling the national annual low income housing tax credit cap is an encouraging sign of a widespread support of the low income housing tax credit incentive. Increasing the low-income housing tax credit cap is also a provision of the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act, albeit not doubling it, increasing it 50%. No other provisions of the Blumenauer Report include making HUD's Section 8 program an entitlement that covers anyone eligible. Also, the creation of a renter's credit, and also $10 billion in annual public housing capital funding. Now, there's a link to the report in today's show notes, and I'll tweet it out as well. Now, we have some state-level news dealing with the low-income housing tax credit, namely the state of Kentucky and Maryland and efforts to create state low-income housing tax credit incentives. Now, state affordable housing tax credit incentives can help close financing gaps that allow more properties to be funded. Support for these incentives at a state level are a good indicator that legislators recognize how valuable the incentives are. The Maryland program that's been introduced, the legislation, would provide credits to developers who enroll in the program in 2021 through 2023. And credits would be used for properties that require funding to make the development economically feasible. Basically, it's designed to be gap funding. Now, the Kentucky legislation would introduce the state credit for five years, and it would be available for properties placed in service on or after January 1, 2021. I should also note that legislation was introduced in California to create a tax credit to keep affordable housing income restricted instead of converting to market rate once their affordability restrictions end. Now, in case you're wondering how many states have a state and local housing tax credit incentive, our recent count is that there are 15 states that do currently have a state low income housing tax credit. And five other states have introduced legislation to create or expand state affordable housing tax credit incentives this since the beginning of January. Those states include Indiana, Missouri, Oklahoma, Utah, and Hawaii. Before closing, I do want to discuss a recent Alabama Circuit Court opinion 
that dealt with the valuation of a low-income housing tax credit property. Specifically, the state was valuing the property excluding any extended use agreements. And as a consequence, the properties had greater values than they would have if you valued the property taking into account an extended use agreement. The valuation of low-income housing tax credit properties is a recurrent theme on this podcast as various states and counties and other jurisdictions have taken different approaches to valuing tax credit properties. Most notably, do you take into account the rent restrictions, and if so, for how long? And to what extent do you assess the value of the tax credits? Well, the state's policy in Alabama was to disregard, was to ignore, low-income housing tax credit extended use restrictions when they were determining the property's value for annual property taxes. And, as a consequence, the value of the property was much higher, which then led to higher property taxes, higher operating expenses, albeit the rents were restricted. Well, thankfully, the Alabama Circuit Court ruled against that approach. This is obviously good news for affordable housing in Alabama, in that Alabama counties now, absent a successful appeal of this ruling, will have to take into account legal restrictions on rent use and operation of low-income housing tax credit properties when they determine the annual property tax assessment. And if you have any questions about this, either in Alabama or in another state, please reach out to Novograd Partner near you. We do do a reasonable amount of work associated with valuing these properties for purposes of property tax appeals and the like. Well, that brings you to the end of this week's report. Now, earlier in the podcast, I did talk about Opportunity Zones, and I now want to let you know about the Novogratic 2020 Opportunity Zones Conference. It's coming in April, just a few short months away. The conference is April 23rd and 24th in Long Beach, California. And the conference is going to have plenty of discussion about the final regulations that were released by the Treasury Department last December. We're also going to have some very notable keynotes, more to come on that, and there'll be lots of chances to network with other participants in the Opportunity Zones Incentive. I will include a link to register for the conference in today's show notes, and I'll tweet it out as well. Also, email cpas at novaco.com with any suggestions for topics and the rest that we should be sure to cover at the conference. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.